I sit in utter amazement of how great and wonderful God's word is. And I think I'm perhaps more grateful than any man in the world living that I have the privilege of teaching it and that God does show me a lot of this wonderful stuff and that I can share it with you people. And if you'll work it and you come up with the same truths and see them and share them with people, then the word of God will never die. The word of God will live. It will not be like it was in the first century. And by the time of the death of the apostle Paul, the great mystery had pretty well been lost. It was all gone. Makes you feel sort of sick, but I don't know. That's history, I guess. But I do not believe that that will occur again because of the times in which you and I live. The moments of the imminent return of Christ and just because of what God saw before the foundation of the world. And when I say those things, I literally have chills running up and down my spine. But in the 13th chapter of Romans, we're still dealing with the believers living with renewed mind. And as I showed you in such great detail last week, it is love without hypocrisy. This whole chapter, the whole 13th chapter, is sort of like a unit within itself, and yet it's a part of the whole of the record that we're dealing with, the believers living with the renewed mind. Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, for there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. Whosoever therefore resisteth, the power resisteth the ordinance of God. And they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. Verse 3. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to the evil. Wilt thou then not be afraid of the power? Do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the same. For he is the minister of God to thee for good. But if thou do that which is evil, be afraid. For he beareth not the sword in vain. For he is the minister of God, a revenger to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. Wherefore, ye must needs be subject, not only for wrath, but also for conscience sake. For for this cause pay ye tribute also. For they are God's ministers, attending continually upon this very thing. Render therefore to all their dues, tribute to whom tribute is due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. Verse 8. Owe no man anything but to love one another. For he that loveth another hath fulfilled what? The law. Verse 9. For this... Thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, thou shalt not covet, and if there be any other commandment, it is briefly comprehended in this saying, namely, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thy what? Self. Now verse 10, love worketh no ill, evil to his neighbor. Therefore love is the fulfilling of the what? Law. Verse 11. And that knowing, and that knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep, 
for now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk honestly as in the day, not in rioting and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantedness, not in strife and envying. Verse 14, but put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lusts thereof. That is the great 13th chapter of Romans. Verse 1, let every soul, the word soul is living person, be subject unto the higher powers. For there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. Basically, outside of our ministry, I do not know of any group or individuals, theologians, even translations who believe what I'm going to share with you tonight. They all believe that the higher powers are the civil authorities, the state, the government. I do not believe that. I do not believe that the right dividing of the word warrants that conclusion. And that I'm going to set before the core in all the detail that I'm able to put in my heart and mind and share with you. This is the work of C.H. Welsh entitled The Just and the Justifier which is a piece of work that I have checked thoroughly on the book of Romans. And in, on page 295, he makes the following statement regarding this verse. The problem of the Christian's right attitude toward his enemies and towards civil government has now to be faced. In other words, he says it's going to deal with civil what? Governments. On page 297, he says, coming now to Romans 13 and its teaching concerning human government. That is C.H. Wells, Just and the Justifier. In W.E. Vine, the Epistle to the Romans, on page 186, he says the following, rulers hold from God freedom to act however much they may abuse their authority. This is regarding verse one. Civil authority is derived from God and is arranged by divine appointment. And on page 186 and 187, he states, civil government is God's design, and those who exercise it derive their authority from him. Resistance to that authority is disobedience to God. Now, the Amplified New Testament translates chapter 13, 1. Let every person be loyally subject to the governing 
civil authorities. Good news for modern man translates 13.1. Everyone must obey the state authorities, for no authority exists without God's permission, and the existing authorities have been put there by God. Dake's annotated reference Bible in the margin of his work here on 13.1, he states the following, let every soul be subject to the higher powers. He says, see human governments. And then he lists duties subject to civil government to do good, pay them taxes, render them dues, and honor civil rulers and obey their civil laws and do not curse them. This, I believe, represents generally what everybody has taught and what basically everybody believes. I do not think that is the right dividing of the scriptures because if all civil authorities are authorized and appointed by God, why would you ever want to have an election? No use electing anybody because they're already what? I think just people, plain human common sense, what my dad used to call horse sense, would teach you that Romans 13.1 could absolutely not be that. It has to be something else. Because certainly you could not say that a Hitler or a Stalin or maybe an, even a Nixon or whoever is president now, that he was appointed by God to be the authority. So the only way I know of handling it this is just going back to the integrity and accuracy of the word and work the word. And I want to work verse one with you in all the detail and thinking that I believe the word has in it. It says, let every soul be subject under the higher powers. Now we have read you, they interpreted that civil powers, governmental powers. The word soul, I do not believe we need to handle much further. We handle it in the foundational class. That's where we handle the word soul in detail. But the word subject in that verse, let every soul be subject. I think that word needs some handling. It is the Greek word, hupotasso. The word means standing under, standing under, be subdued unto, quietly, lovingly, in reverence, in subjection. I'll give it to you once more. This word subject means standing under, be subdued unto. Then I said quietly, remember? Subdued. That doesn't mean you're not thinking. That just means you're like you're at rest. Quietly. You're not biting your fingernails to the second knuckle. Then I said lovingly, in reverence, in subjection to. 
lovingly, in reverence. Reverence is respect. Remember the King James sometimes uses the word awe, A-W-E, for reverence, which means lovingly in reverence, in subjection to. And that will agree with the reference in the word of God when it talks about the wife being in subjection to her husband. Same basic word. I think that's a beautiful illustration of that word. Let every soul be subject because the husband is to be head of the wife. But the husband is to love the wife like Christ loved the what? That's why she can stand under, be subdued unto, quietly, loving, in reverence, in subjection to her husband. That's this word in Romans 13.1. Then you get to the words higher powers. First of all, the word powers is the Greek word exousia, E-X-O-U-S-I-A. Remember, dynamis, energimata, exousia, those are words that are not unfamiliar to you. The word exousia, which I've explained to you before, but must be explained again in the light of this verse here, that you don't miss it here, because we're talking about higher powers. The word exousia is power exercised. It is authority to carry it out. That's exousia. It is power, yes, but it's power that's the authority to carry it out. It is exercise power, but you've got to get the fine line of truth here that as exercise power is, is authority. Now, in order to have that authority, you have to have something first. And that's the word dynamis. So this, whatever this higher powers is going to be, has to be something that you have received before so that now you can do what with it? Exercise it. That's it. That's it. You must first have received it. And you and I know from working the word that when you receive it, that's dunamis. Dunamis is inherent power. It becomes kinetic when it's exousiad, when it's energematad, then it becomes manifested, not as dynamis, but as kinetic. I believe that the greatness of this word in chapter 13, verse 1, teaches that the higher powers are those powers which God sets in the church, the body of believers. In Deuteronomy chapter 17, everybody get it, 17, it says in verse 15, way back there in Deuteronomy, God said, thou shalt in any wise set him king over thee, whom the Lord thy God shall what? One from among thy brethren shalt thou set king over thee, that thou mayest not set a stranger over thee, which is not thy what? Brother. In Acts chapter 4, 
in verse 19, after the authorities in 18 had commanded the apostles not to speak at all nor teach in the name of what? Verse 19, Peter and John answered and said unto them, whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than unto God, judge ye. Verse 20, for we cannot but speak the things which we have heard and which we have what? So I think it's very clear from Deuteronomy as well as from the book Acts that chapter 13, verse 1 could not apply to civil authorities. Perhaps all of what I want to share in verse 1 of chapter 13 of Romans, you will find in these pages in the book on receiving the Holy Spirit today. And it begins with 1 Corinthians 12, verse 12. And the first word is the word for. And the footnote at the bottom of the page says, for sets these verses in correspondence with verses 7 and 11 of 1 Corinthians 12. Progressively, verse 7 gives the manifestation of the Spirit, nine in number, as God's will for every believer. Verse 11 shows the believer will only manifest as many of these available nine as he wills to manifest. Then in verses 12 to 27, the members are again as many of the nine manifestations, verse 7, as the man wills to manifest, set in correspondence with verse 11. That is a fantastic footnote. You ought to master it that you understand it in all of its fullness. That's the first word of 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12. For as the body is one, the body is what? and hath many members, and all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit, Panuma, are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one Spirit, Panuma. For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot shall say, because I am not of the hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear shall say, because I am not of the eye, I am not the eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where were the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where were the smelling? But now, there's your key, but now, but what? Now, but now hath God set, God set the members, every one of them in the body as it hath pleased him. And if they were all one member, where were the body? But now are they member, many members, yet but one body. And the eye cannot say unto the hand, I have no need of thee, nor again the head to the foot, I have no need of you, nay, much more those members of the body which seem to be more feeble are necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, upon these we bestow more abundant honor. And our uncomely parts 
have more abundant comeliness. For our comely parts have no need, but God hath tempered, God hath tempered the body together, having given more abundant honor to that part which lacked. Now watch this verse. That there should be no schism, no breakage, no schism in the body. Lord, I'd love to see that day. Basically, all I've ever seen in all my life has been schism in the body. I've seen it in the way ministry where a group breaks off and they start their own trip. The will of the Lord is not that. It would be better, I believe in all my heart, to stay tied to the major body and never break from that, even if the major body was wrong on two, three, four, ten different things, because the major body would still be accurate on 90, 95%, and staying put, you would be the winner in the long run. This verse just sends chills up and down my spine, for it is absolutely God's will that there is no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care one for another. Schisms in the body usually come because people don't like other people. They haven't renewed their mind on love. That love is far greater. Love is far greater than to fight with people over principles, maybe one little principle that you think is so important. Look what Christians have done to each other just on baptism alone. They have literally killed each other, destroyed each other physically. That's why, you know, in the history of, almost hate to use the word Christianity, like when a group of people did not believe in infant baptism, they were called a cult, and they were persecuted and killed and they officially called them Anabaptist, Anna, A-N-A, Baptist, against baptism. That's not literally true. They were not against baptism. What they were against was what? Infant baptism. Infant baptism. And this Anabaptist group became what we today know in our culture as the Baptist denomination who believe in immersion. And then when they got strong enough in immersion, then they persecuted those who believed in infant baptism. What about Holy Communion? Same thing. They have literally killed each other on whether you believe that the, the bread is the body, the cup is the blood of Christ, or whether you believed it represented the body the bread represented the body or the cup represented the blood. They have literally killed each other over that. People, that cannot be the will of God. That just cannot be the will of God. The great heart of love would say, well, if you think water is so important, do them all. And don't fight about it. You know, do it when you're an infant and then when you get 12 or 14, do it again. Then, if you like to get dipped, do it that way. And if you like to go like the Quakers do or the Friends or other groups, 
that they just sit and think about being baptized, do it that way. But don't kill each other. Man, I, I just cannot see anything there at all. That there be no schism in the body, no breakage in the body. There is no strength in the church when there is a schism or a break in the body. The body, now remember, it's like a family. Is there strength in the family when the husband is fighting the wife, beating her up? Is there any strength in the family when she has a dirty, filthy mouth and raises hell with her husband? Is there any strength in the family when the children do not love their father or mother? What about the family of God, people? That's why Christianity, so-called, for the most part, is just the laughing stock as far as the truth of God's word is concerned. Because there's been basically nothing but fight, 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 quarrel, kill, and all in the name, I'm right on God's word, you're wrong, so I kill you. Where in the world is the love of God in the renewed mind in that people? Just where is the love of God in the renewed mind? Let alone Philadelphia love that we talked about. Even that is not there. For if you love Philadelphia love, you would not want to kill someone who didn't quite agree with how much water you ought to use in baptism, would you now? See, people, we've just lived so far below par, and the Word of God has not had the regnancy, the supremacy in the life and the heart of the people who call themselves believers or Christians. Next verse. Whether one member suffer. All the members what? Remember the illustration of the family I just gave you? Husband and wife, children, same truth here. One member is honored. All the members do what? Rejoice with it. Now, 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 not when you die, right now. You are the body of Christ and members in particular. The word particular means with the unique position in that body. This entire section, verses 12 through 27, is an illustration using the human body to present the same truth that applies to the spiritual body, which has been set forth in the opening 11 verses of this 12th chapter. Verse 12 and following, proceed to show how the church is one body and every member is complete as one in that body, but that every believer is a particular, unique, wonderful member of the whole body. Verses 28 to 30, here it is. And God hath set some, who set them? God, God set them, God set them. They were not elected by a civil authority, nor by church authorities. They were 
called perpendicularly, and it was God who did the what? Setting. It was God who did the setting, God who did the calling, but it is God who did the setting. This is so simple to me. Who set these fingers on my hand? Who set this arm? Who set this head? Who set this chest, these limbs of mine? They were set by a natural law of conception. When my mother conceived by my father, they were set. Well, now we are sons of God, born of God's spirit. God is our what? Therefore, don't you see it? God has sets. God has set them. God set them. In the church, first apostles, secondarily prophets, thirdly teachers, after that miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, governments, diversities of tongues. Verse 29, are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, are all workers of miracles? See, a man shouldn't have to even read any further, and you ought to have the full understanding of the word. Having just read what I did previously, is every part of your physical body an eye? Is every part of your physical body a hand or an ear? If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? What about the spiritual body? Verse 30. Have all the gifts charismata of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? Verses 28 through 30 are an expression of the truth that every part, every believer has a specific ministry to perform. But without the whole body, all the manifestations could not function effectively and efficaciously. The critical unbelieving believers have tried to expound this verse mainly to degrade speaking in tongues. They have said speaking in tongues is the least important. Therefore, God put it last. Such logic is almost unforgivable. If you should happen to be the last child, the youngest in the family, would that make you the least important? Well, somebody or something has to be last. Just because something is last in a list does not carry with it the quality of being the least or unimportant. In writings as well as speech, we often read in here, this is the last and final point. But allow me to remind you, it is not the least important or last but not least. God's word is no less God's word in importance simply because something is last. It is equally God's word. You cannot write two things at once. One must be first and of necessity, another must come later. Surely God's word needs a more honest survey than that which these critics have given it. Let us examine carefully verses 28 through 30 and what they teach. They're full of truth and instruction to those who will to learn. A literal translation of verse 28 according to usage would be, so God has placed some in the church having the ministry of apostles, prophets, and teachers. There are some who minister more effectively as miracle workers, some who are very effective in ministering the blessings of healings, 
some who are very adept in ministering as helps and governments, and some whose ministry is diversity of tongues. The Greek word for diversities is genos, G-E-N-O-S, meaning kind. People have a ministry of diversities of tongues. Do not use one tongue exclusively, but rather they're adept at bringing forth a variety of different tongues. This is using tongues in a more comprehensive sense. That is the sense described by the word genos. Verse 28 is God's plan for ministering in the church age in which we are living. I know of no passage of scripture which nullifies this order for the church of which you and I are a part. As a matter of fact, Ephesians 4, 8 through 18 helps to clarify the charismata, spiritual abilities manifested in the census world as ruling ministries in the church. Also, Romans 12, 4 through 8 casts much at a light on this misunderstood subject. And so now we go to Ephesians chapter 4. Verse 7, But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift, the daria of Christ. Wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led what? Captivity captive and gave gifts, doma, unto men. Then the parentheses. Now that he ascended, what is it? But that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth. He that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all heavens that he might fill all things. He gave them. And he gave, he gave some what? Apostles, some prophets, and some evangelists, and some pastors, and what? Look what for. For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of whom? Christ. Now watch it. That we henceforth, meaning from now on, be no more what? Children, tossed to and fro, and carried about with every wind of doctrine, by the slight of men, and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in what? Love. Speaking the truth in love may grow up, grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even whom? Christ. From whom? The whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth according to the effectual working in the measure of every part maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk 
in the vanity of their what? Mind, having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their what? Heart. The word gift in verse 7, I told you, is doria, which is a benefit to the individual. The word gifts in verse 8 is the Greek word doma. As such gifts, doma, they are benefits on a horizontal plane to the church. The Greek word charisma is a gift of God by grace in a perpendicular way and not a doma, not a benefit on a horizontal plane unless put to use. Remember the word powers, exousia? Put to use, put into practice, or operated by the believer. The charismata, spiritual abilities, as doma gifts, are to and for the church. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, for ministering benefits to the body of Christ, thus perfecting the saints. Now we go to Romans 12, verse 4. For as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office, so we, being many, are one what? Body in Christ, and every one members one of another. Having then gifts differing, According to the grace that is given to us, whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith. Next verse. Or ministry, let us wait on our ministering. Or he that teaches on what? Teaching. Or he that exhorteth on exhortation. He that giveth, let him do it with simplicity. Now remember this stuff, because when I get into Romans 13, all of this will fit like a hand in a glove. He that giveth, let him do it with what? He that ruleth with what? Diligence. He that showeth mercy with cheerfulness. These verses are the same charismata, spiritual abilities given by God to man, becoming doma ministries in the church as the believers operate them. Chapter 12 of Romans, from verse 4 on, gives the operator and believers specific instructions, not only as to the ministries, but also as to the conduct of his own life in the utilization of those ministries. In Romans 12, 4, the word office means function, naturally on a horizontal level. All members in the body have not the same function on a horizontal level. Your nose doesn't have the same function in your physical body as your eye on a horizontal level or your hand or your feet. Likewise, in the spiritual body, according to usage, the following verses in Romans 12 should read. Verse 6, you then in the church, having charismata, spiritual abilities and functions, differing according to the divine favor or friendly willingness of God that is given you. If it be a ministry of prophecy, keep busy manifesting by prophesying 
according to the proportion of your believing. Verse 7 of Romans 12. Or if you have another type of ministry, get busy ministering. Or if your ministry is teaching, get busy teaching. Or if you have an exhortation ministry, get busy exhorting. Verse 8. Should now begin, he that giveth forth in any ministry in the church, let him do it with simplicity. He that has a ruling ministry, let him do it with diligence. And he that has a ministry making him very adept in mercy, let him do it with cheerfulness. Then all the instructions following these verses are on the behavior of that individual, and that's conduct. Having thus far noted in detail the operation of the ministries and gifts in the church, we now return to 1 Corinthians 12, verses 29 and 30. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, are all workers of miracles, have all the gifts, charismata of healing, do all speak with tongues, do all interpret? The re literal rendering is, not all are apostles, are they? Not all are prophets, are they? And so on. In other words, does everyone have in operation the ministry of an apostle in the church? Does everyone have in operation the ministry of a prophet in the church? Do all have in operation the ministry of a teacher in the church? Are all those who minister workers of miracles in the church? Do all have the spiritual abilities in evidence of ministering gifts of healing in the church? Do all minister by speaking in tongues in the church? Do all minister by interpreting what has been spoken in a tongue in the church? The answer is no. They do not all do all of these things in the church. But there is no implication or inference that these things could not be happening in the lives of all the individual Christian believers. But in the church, you will see in manifestation the ministries where the person ministering is especially adept at doing certain spiritual things better than others. All the ministries in the church, even those that are gifts, charismata of God in a vertical way, will be in manifestation or evidence on the horizontal plane among the believers in the church only according to the proportion of believing of the individual spirit-filled believer who is ministering. As an illustration, if a man has the ministry of an apostle, it will not come forth of itself in doma or benefit form to the church unless he believes he can minister as an apostle. Likewise, all of God's charismata, which are doria to the individual and doma to the church as the receiver believes to operate them. Verse 31, but covet earnestly the best gifts, charismata in the church. This instruction compels those of us who belong to the church to covet the best gifts. The word covet means to earnestly desire and seek. 
the best gifts with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength that we may have the power of God in our lives to minister effectively in the church against the onslaughts upon the church of Jesus Christ. The best gifts referred to are the charismata. If we have the ability, it is up to us to launch out into the ministry. If we do not have the spiritual ability and evidence in the church, we need to do some earnest desiring. What are the best gifts, charismata? The word best has confused us to the end of thinking that one gift of God might be better than another. This cannot be, for every gift of God is very good. Yes, perfect. But what would be the best gift of God for one local church might not be the best for another group of believers in another local church. For instance, if one church fellowship should be located in an area among many who are unsaved, then that church fellowship should covet earnestly the best gift of an evangelist. Another church in another area may be located among believers only. This church does not need an evangelist. This church should covet earnestly the best gift of a pastor. Right there. You don't need an evangelist here on the campus at Gunnison. Why? You're all believers. Like tonight before we went to teach in the rest of the Corps. We didn't have to speak in tongues and interpret here because the word of God says you're to be fully instructed. And when you're fully instructed, the best is what? That's why we did it. I don't know why we can't understand this stuff. You know why you don't want to? You don't want to renew your mind. You don't drive your mind to really believe it's God's word. You want to screw around. Get influenced by what you think rather than by what the word says. You've got to learn to think what the word says, not think what you want to think. You make your thinking think what the word says. Think the word. Sometimes, you know, I hear this stuff like at International. It's hard to work at International. I have nobody to witness to. If you had people to witness to at international, we better change international. <laughs> Why? We then we'd have unbelievers on the staff, right? I don't want unbelievers. We got born again men and women filled with the Holy Spirit, knowledgeable people. Therefore, at the way international, we don't need the ministry of an evangelist. Any other location where the body of believers born again, you don't need the ministry of an evangelist. You may, you definitely will need the ministry of a pastor, I guarantee you. Boy, this is so simple. And you still don't know what I'm talking about. You don't know the word. You haven't driven the word in your life. When are you ever going to get it? You know, you ain't going to live to be as old as Methuselah. So you better go to work. Look, it's the word, the word, the word. I'm confident that at the root there will be the ministry, the gift ministries of grace that this verse deals with, charismata, of apostles, prophets, teachers, and pastors, if 
you walk on God's word. And if you don't, I've just described it to you. The ministries don't operate themselves. They must be operated by believing men and women. Verse 31 of 1 Corinthians 12 again. Covet earnestly the best gifts. And then that terrible phrase that people have so much trouble with. And yet show I unto you a more excellent way. And now you're right at the great conclusion of all of this stuff. And this will explain it once more. A more excellent way than what? A more excellent way than coveting or earnestly desiring these gifts, these charismata. This better way than coveting is the way that is set forth in the 13th chapter of 1 Corinthians. When we apply the principles of the love of God in the renewed mind in manifestation in our lives, we will no longer need to covet or earnestly desire anything. For God knows our every need and he will supply our every need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. And he'll do it most liberally even before we ask. According to usage, verse 31 should read, but earnestly desire to operate in the church the best gifts, charismata, and yet I will show you a more excellent way than coveting them, and that's 1 Corinthians 13, which is the love of God in the renewed mind in manifestation. Romans chapter 13, verse 1, let every soul, every person be subject Stand under, be subdued unto quietly, lovingly in reverence, in subjection unto the higher exousia powers. The higher powers are the gift ministries to the church of apostles, prophets, evangelists, teachers, and pastors. And the word powers is exousia, they could not have exousia until they first had what I told you, dynamis, and that is because God set them. God called. God placed them in the church, and with that placement comes the dynamis. That's the higher power. With the placement that God gives is the dynamis. Just like when you're born again, it's God in Christ in you, the hope of glory, the Holy Spirit. That's the dynamis, right? The dynamis. That's the power. Then you exercise it and you manifest nine manifestations of the Spirit. Remember? Likewise, with the higher powers. There could be no higher powers if someone didn't give them the power to begin with. And the higher powers of Romans Chapter 13, 1, are not civil. They are the higher powers that God placed in the church. They're spiritual powers of apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. For there, I'm in 13, 1. For there is no power. Again, the word power is exousia. But of whom? Saying that you could not exousia had God not given it to begin with. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, 
pastors, teachers. The powers, the powers, and that word powers is again exousia, that be, are ordained of whom? That means they're God-given. Now that word ordained, you got to work. That word ordained is the Greek word tasso. T-A-S-S-O. Long O. The word tasso means specially or specifically appointed. If it's the word specially you use, this is the phrase that defines the word. Specially appointed arrangement set in a certain order with a distinctive orderliness, properly regulated. And if this is true core, then ordained of God would mean consecrated, devoted, committed. I'm going to go through every usage in the New Testament with you to show you the greatness of that word ordained. Its first usage is in Matthew 28, 16. Matthew 28, verse 16. Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee into a mountain where Jesus had appointed them. The word appointed is the word tasso. Specially appointed arrangement. Remember my definition? Set in a certain order with a distinctive orderliness, properly regulated, went into Galilee unto a mountain where Jesus had appointed them. Second usage, Luke 7, verse 8. This man, according to verse 2, is a centurion, remember? A man who's the head of a hundred soldiers. But verse 8 is where this usage comes. He says, this centurion, for I also am a man set, and the word set is the word tasso, under authority. A centurion is given a sign, and then he utilizes, he exercises his authority. But he couldn't exercise the authority if he first were not what? Set. You're given it. You got it. See how that all fits together? Having under me soldiers. And I say unto one, go, he goeth, to another, come, and he cometh. And to my servant, do this, and he doeth it. Romans 13, 1, ordained, remember? Specially appointed arrangements set in a certain order with a distinctive orderliness, properly regulated, consecrated, devoted, committed. I say to one, go, and he does what? I say to another, come and he what? That man is committed and he gives the order and it's carried out. The next usage is in Acts 13. See, from what I've taught you, you ought to be able to read verse 48 and for yourself already see this word that's going to be hitting you here. When the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and glorified the word of the Lord and as many as were ordained to eternal life, believe the word ordained is the word tasso. Specifically appointed, set in a certain order, and as many as were 
specifically appointed by God's foreknowledge, they were set in that order that when they would hear, how come you were just at the place you were when you heard the word? How come you were just at that place the day you heard the word? That's the word tussle. Specifically appointed arrangement. Next usage is in chapter 15 of Acts, verse 2. When therefore Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and disputation with them, they determined, the word determined is the word tussle, that Paul and Barnabas, certain other of them, should go up to Jerusalem. They specifically set in order, certain order, and the order was, some should go to Jerusalem, talk to the apostles about that was the order. Next usage is in 22 of Acts, Acts 22, verse 10. And I said, what shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said unto me, arise and go into Damascus, and there it shall be told thee of all things which are what? Appointed for thee to do. And the word appointed is the word tasso. Distinctive, orderly, properly regulated, what to do, properly organized, properly regulated, specifically appointed arrangements, what you should do. Acts 28, 23 is the last one in the book of Acts. Acts 28, 28, 23. And when they had appointed him a day, there came many to him on his life. The word appointed is the word Tasso. Now, there is one other usage in the Bible, and that is in 1 Corinthians 16. 1 Corinthians 16, verse 15. I beseech you, brethren, you know the house of Stephanus, that it is the first fruits of Achaia, and that they have addicted themselves to the ministry of the saints. The words addicted themselves is the word tussle. <laughs> they have specifically appointed themselves, set in a certain order. What have they set in order? That they would minister to the saints. That they have addicted themselves to the ministry of the saints. Core, those are all the usages of this word, tasso, in the New Testament. So back to Romans 13. Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, for there is no power but of God. The powers that be are specifically appointed and arranged of who? God. That, I think, core is verse 1 of chapter 13. I'd like to say one more thing regarding all of this. There are these higher powers in the church. There is no question about it the apostles, prophets, evangelists, teachers, and pastors, and therefore the perfecting of the saints with a view to, with a further view, all of that, they're there. That does not mean that these higher powers will always be right on on what they say unless they read it directly from the Word and expound it accurately from the Word, having studied to show themselves approved. That's right. I think not think, I know, that men like Paul were appointed 
with ministries. I have no question. I can read it to you. Yet I know Paul went to Jerusalem when he shouldn't have. Did he make a mistake? Therefore, we now start a new denomination. We split the body. The ministry may be confronted by any honest, loving, sincere believer. You have the right to question the authority of men's ministries. Even as Paul's ministry was brought in question when he went to Jerusalem. Paul was wrong. We know that from the word. And sometimes people get the feeling that you dare never question leadership. Now, wait a minute. You never heard that from me and you never got it from the word. You have a right. As a matter of fact, before God, even a greater thing than that, to question the authority. But you're questioning of it. You're confronting men or women who have gift ministries. Your questioning of them must be in light of the word. You just don't come and say, well, Dr. Rural, I think you're wrong. I'm going to start a new denomination. You come with what? The word. Now, one more great thing with love. That's the key. Not with an adamant mind, not with harshness. You have the right to confront the twig coordinator if he's wrong on the word or what he says about it or in his life, the way he tells you what he says for you to do. You confront him with what? The word with. That's the key. These ministries are set in the body, but it does not guarantee that the ministry is always right. God is always right, but men ministering are frail human beings who have been born again of God's spirit, same as all born again, and they too are part of what? The body, and at times they can and are wrong. But when they are, then you have the privilege to go to them and to show them from the word with the love of God in the renewed mind. That, I believe, people, is Romans 13.1.